0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. It has been an awesome several weeks to see these baptisms in person, and and this morning we're actually looking at four four baptisms. Uh, We've looked at those three, and then in the book of Mark, we're going to get to our fourth, which is the baptism of Jesus. Uh, if you have the Book of Mark, uh, we are going through this book. We started two weeks ago before Sent to Serve, and we are going to be looking at the Book of Mark for the better, minute, better part of this whole year. And this book, I love it, it's amazing. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you saw we had a, a little journal, a, a writing journal. It's the Book of Mark, but then it's got pages to write. Uh, we ran out at the coffee shop, so we have more. So if you would like to purchase one of those, I, I don't have it up here with me, but they're really neat. Um, and they're $5, dollars or $6 on Amazon. So So if you're watching online, you can also go to uh, Amazon and purchase one. It's just a great way to to work through your notes, and, and, and not just this morning, but as you study on your own, to be able to see this message from Mark. Last week, I'll talk very quickly the background of Mark. Mark is written to the Christians in Rome. There's great persecution. Christians are being arrested. Christians are being tortured. Everyone is turning in the Christians, and, and there's a great blame on, their, on the Christians on this fire that went through Rome and, and destroyed 80% of it. And so the city is looking for someone to blame. The people are looking for somewhere to point their anger, to point their disappointment, to point their hurt, and they turn to the Christians. And so everyone is against them. Friends are turning each other in. Family members are turning each other in. The, the soldiers are out to arrest them and then to torture them and kill them. And so these Christians uh, are kind of at a loss. These Christians are lonely. These Christians are scared. They're in their own wilderness, and so they're meeting at secret places, perhaps in the catacombs. They're meeting below the city on a Sunday morning, and they're meeting in silence, in quiet. And they're meeting and and they, they don't have the word of God like we do. We have a Bible that we can go to whenever we're discouraged, whenever we're down. We can see, what would Jesus say? They don't have that, but then word gets out that there's this new manuscript. And finally, someone brings it and they begin to read. And they read this book that was written to them, this gospel according to Mark. And I can imagine week after week, they would just read through. And the first time they would hear these stories, they would, might be shocked. There might be stories they never heard before. The next time, they, they would be gently reminded. The third time, they're beginning to dig in. They're beginning to relive these stories as they hear them. They're beginning to see the insights and see how would it apply in their life today in the midst of the persecution. What would it mean to them? And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. Perhaps this is the first time you've gone through the book of Mark. Perhaps it's the first time you've heard any of these stories about Jesus. And, and for, for those of you, you could relate to these Roman Christians that this is the first time they've heard some of this. And it's exciting. Perhaps you're familiar with these stories. Perhaps there will be nothing new that you've never heard before over this coming year out of the text. Perhaps you've read Mark multiple times. Perhaps you knew we were going to study Mark and you've already read through the whole book. It's a short book, only 16 chapters. And for those of us that have seen this before, I wanna encourage you to be like those Roman Christians, to let this sink in, to to reread and reread again and to be able to see where does this apply? How does it touch home for me? And so as they see this story that Mark is about to get into, we're actually covering three stories this morning, and they're all in chapter 1. We're looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, and we're going to be looking at these stories uh, of Jesus' life, the beginning of his ministry. And you are right there alongside these Roman Christians, hiding in the catacombs, reading this. Maybe the first time, maybe rereading this time again and seeing what does this mean for me? What did Jesus do this for, for all of mankind? So if you were along with us a couple weeks ago, you know this. If you weren't, we're uh, we at a scene where there's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was like a rock star. Uh, people were coming, flocking to him to hear his words, to hear what he had to say. They were coming and being baptized, and he was baptizing them in the promise of a Messiah to come. He was baptizing them in water in in the river and he was baptizing them in the promise that a Messiah would come that would one day wipe away their sins. And so we have this scene where you have John the Baptist baptizing and he says, one day there will become one that I am unworthy to untie his sandals. And that day is where we get to today in verse nine. It says in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, and when he came up out of the water immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending him on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. If you're walking, if you're trying to picture this, that voice sounds like James Earl Jones, and so now you know what it would sound like if you were there, and it's a deep, manly voice. And this is the scene. I love how Mark's writing style, it's very quick. We talked about that, that he's writing just to get this story out to these Christians that are being persecuted. He's trying to tell them just the facts. And so he doesn't dwell on a lot of details. But if if we take the details from all four Gospels, this story is important enough that it's in the Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see some more details. We see that John... The Baptist had come, and he, his ministry was to tell people to baptize, but to tell people about the Messiah that would be revealed to Israel. And God gave John specific instructions in that he would baptize with water, but one day someone would come who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so while he's on the, the banks of this river, and the crowds are coming to baptize him, to, to be baptized by him, Jesus arrives and presents himself to be baptized by John. John knows what's going on. John knows this is the Messiah. And John balks at it. He says, I'm not worthy to do this. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus replies and tells him it's necessary in order to fulfill all righteousness. And so, humbly, John baptizes him. And throughout the baptism, Jesus is praying. And when he comes up, the heavens open up. And the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and the father speaks that he's proud. These are the details that we see as we put all four gospels together. And we see, as you read this story, I don't know about you. First time I heard it, it didn't make sense. Second time it didn't make sense. Many times it hasn't made sense. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? Right? Have you ever wondered that in here? Like, it doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus be baptized? Obviously, yes, he should be baptizing John and the whole crowds. Why why would Jesus get baptized? It seems so strange. But yet, this is the beginning of his ministry here on earth. And if you fast forward to the end, this doesn't seem any more strange than why would Jesus hang on a cross for the sins of mankind when he's innocent. Because he's connecting with man. This is his connection with mankind that he's saying do, that he'll be able to say, do as I done. Be baptized. Be baptized in the promise of a Messiah to come. I am that promise. The Old Testament has been full of prophecies and predictions. I am here to fulfill it and we are together. I am connecting with man and one day I will connect with man as I hang on the cross and I will take all of your sins to the grave with me and I will conquer those sins. I will conquer death. But on this day, He's connecting with us, saying, Let us wipe this clean. There is a Messiah that is to come. I am here. We will see this as his message. The time is fulfilled. This thing that we've been looking forward to has come. And let us be baptized in that promise. And so, Jesus comes and he's baptized. And the heavens open up and God speaks. And, and the point of writing this, Mark wants to make sure, he's very, he's very skimps on the details, but he makes sure that we know this, because at this time, there's this idea in the, Jewish, in the Jewish beliefs that heaven was multi-levels, and that God reigned at the top, and that you couldn't actually hear God's voice. What you would hear is an echo of his voice. As if he was down a canyon and you couldn't hear the initial initial words, but as it's echoed back and forth and made it down to you, you finally hear the, the reverberations of his voice. So it's significant that Mark says, heaven opened up and they heard his voice. God is there with them. He's not far off that we can only hear an echo. He is there with them. And then it says the Spirit, like a dove, comes down. And so Mark has been giving us an illustration of the Trinity. The Trinity is something that we struggle to understand sometimes, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, three in one. Here it is. The Father speaking, the Holy Spirit coming down on the Son who's there getting baptized. So it's a beautiful, amazing scene. And then Mark, in Mark's fashion, just moves on. Like, he tells us this amazing thing. Here's the Messiah, the Son of God, gets baptized. Oh, the the heavens open up, the Trinity, the dove, everything. Oh, we got to get going. And so Mark says, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. God speaks. This is my son, who I am well pleased. And then he goes on to prove it he's well pleased because this is his son this is the perfect one this is God incarnate Emmanuel God with us this is no sin this is one that would not give into temptation he is well pleased and so he proclaims this to the crowd and it's easy to make a proclamation but it's different to stand up behind those words and so that's what Jesus does next the Holy Spirit leads him out, and, and he's tempted for 40 days. And we have more details of this in the other Gospels, but Mark, again, is just getting to the facts. He says he was tempted for 40 days, and he was out there with the wild animals. In this area, there's leopards and wild boars. There's jackals. There's bears. This is what Jesus was dealing with for 40 days. But all throughout that time, God was with him. God sent the angels to minister to him. And as we look at these stories, and as I think about these Roman Christians hiding in the catacombs, hearing this, they could relate. They could relate as they have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They can relate as it feels like they're in this time of wilderness. Perhaps you can relate. That it's not leopards and jackals that are attacking us, but, but it's pressures of life. It's illness, it's depression, it's loneliness, it's a lost job, it's bill problems, it's family problems, it's a relationship falling apart. It's all these things that seem to be coming down that we find ourselves in this wilderness. And we just want to cry out. And there's one that we can cry out to. Jesus wasn't alone. God cared for him. God was with him. And God is with us as we face and walk in our wilderness, as we face our own wild animals, our own beasts that are attacking us, God is with us through all of that. As Jesus even says, we, we see later in, in Hebrews, Paul says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I thank these Roman Christians. I thank you and I could find encouragement in this that Jesus will never forsake us, and he means that. Because he knows what it was like to be 40 days facing temptation, facing the devil himself, and God was with him. And so when we are facing our struggles, when we are facing our wild beast, Jesus is with us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. And so you got this amazing scene I would think Mark is hearing this from Peter, and he's relaying this to the people, and you would think that Jesus has talked to the disciples about those 40 days and told them what was happening, and Peter has heard these stories, and Peter shares these with Mark, and you would expect Mark to give all the details, and he doesn't. We move on. All right? So we can get to verse 14. Now, after John was arrested. Once again, this is Mark's style. John the Baptist, who we've just looked at, this rock star, has been arrested. Mark doesn't give us any details. We don't know why. We don't know what happened. John, Mark is just telling us this so we have this concept, a timetable. Isn't, Mark isn't written in a chronological fashion. Mark is letting us know. So after John gets arrested, Jesus needs to leave the area. The pressure's hot. They're coming after Jesus too. And so Jesus leaves the area and he comes to Galilee. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What a message. This this is Jesus' sermon. He's going around from village to village. He's coming into every home that someone invites him in. Jesus, would would you like to come eat something? Sure. And he goes in the home, and as they break bread, he tells them, let me tell you something. He tells them the time is fulfilled. He's explaining that all the prophecies that we've been looking forward to, this idea of a Messiah to come, these promises and prophecies that have been, that we have told down from generation after generation. These prophecies and promises that were told to even Abraham from the beginning of our people is here. The time is fulfilled. The Messiah has come. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. This isn't the kingdom of the Roman Empire. This isn't the kingdom uh, uh, of maybe your neighborhood, those people that have power here and there. This isn't the kingdom in your in your employment where your boss is a little hard and sometimes seems like a jerk. This is the kingdom of God and God is on the throne. Jesus is the king of kings. The kingdom is here at hand. So what should we do? There's been promises and the kingdom has come. We should repent. Jesus is saying, turn from your sins. And he's saying, repent with all your heart. This isn't just repent as in uh, that um, I feel guilty. And perhaps often we feel guilty because of the consequences, because we get caught, because we maybe see the the pain that it caused for that moment. but, But so often when given the chance to sin again, we do. Because we're not repentant of the sin, we're repentant of the consequences. This is a deep repentance. This is a desire to not pursue those sins anymore, to not pursue that life anymore, but to turn and change. And so we repent and believe in the gospel. I love how he puts those together because to repent is to turn away and to believe is what you're turning to. To believe that Jesus is the son of the living God to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The first thing Mark tells us in chapter one, verse one, Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. And so Jesus, this is his message. This is a message to the people, to every little village he comes into, every little home, every little table that he breaks bread with. This is his message 2,000 years later to you and me. There's some people here this morning, some people watching online that need to, Accept this message, because Jesus is preaching this to you, that the Messiah, what you've been waiting for, is here. The kingdom of God has come, and we need to change our lives and believe. And if that's you, and if you haven't done that before, I want to encourage you this morning, step forward and make that happen. Make a commitment to believe. Come talk to us afterwards, outside or in the prayer room. Let us celebrate with you. We're going to have bapti- we have two baptisms scheduled next week. Come get baptized next week. Repent and believe. And so this is Jesus' message, and then Mark keeps us going along with the story. And he gets us to the disciples. There are many fishermen in Galilee. The the historian Josephus was also the mayor of Galilee at one time, and he says when he was mayor, there was 330 fishing boats on the lake. And the fishing boats are people that are wealthy enough to own a boat. There's more fishermen on the shores that are wading out and fishing with nets just by walking out into the lake. This was a, a big industry in the time. This was the meat that they would send to Rome. They would fish, they would pull the fish out, they would salt it to preserve it, and then send it on to Rome. And they're feeding this entire Roman city uh, off of various lakes. And the Sea of Galilee is one of those. And so here they are fishing making a living. And it says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I love this because these are ordinary guys. These are guys working the nine to five job. These are guys that aren't highly educated. These are guys that aren't super religious. These are guys that probably failed out of rabbi school when they were a young kid. These are guys that are doing the trade of their family. These are ordinary people. These are common people. Abraham Lincoln once said, God God must love the common people because he made so many of them. I like that because this is who Jesus calls And I like it because I know I'm a common person. And you're a common person. And if that's a surprise, then I apologize. But we are all normal, ordinary people. And Jesus is calling you as much as he's calling Simon and Andrew. And so he calls these ordinary people. And through these ordinary guys, he's going to change the world. And the same is true today. That he calls us out to change the world. To follow him. And and so you have these aspiring students, and this idea of him calling is so different, so topsy-turvy, as Jesus always done. In the past, students would come to a rabbi and ask them if they could follow them. And and what they were trying to do is follow the rabbi and to follow the rabbi's laws. This is what they held true to, was the laws, the rules that the rabbi had. And here, this story is completely different. These Roman Christians are hearing of this Jesus, that the, the students aren't following the rabbi. The rabbi is seeking them, is pursuing them once, once more than them to follow rules, but once a relationship. Jesus is seeking us. Jesus is pursuing us. Not to have us follow a bunch of rules like rabbis did at the time, but he's seeking us to follow and have a relationship with him. To, to, to interact with God, to, to have a relationship with Jesus, to love him, to care for him. Not just to follow a bunch of rules, but to actually be one and be close with Jesus. To have a real relationship where you talk to him, where you long for him, where you read his word, where you pray, where you cry out to him. This is what Jesus is calling these men to. This is what Jesus is calling us to. And so Mark continues, and we meet the next two disciples. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him it's likely that there's about seven of Jesus' main disciples are fishermen. And, and I think it's for a reason. They, they were called there because they're full, fishermen are full of courage. They, they have patience. They have faith, tenacity. They weren't quitters or complainers. Quality traits that Jesus needed and people that would follow and lead. And so several months before Jesus calls these guys, he had been in Galilee. We see the story, and, and, Jesus, and Mark doesn't want us to thank him. The way Mark writes it, it looks like Jesus just met him for the first time and they come. But the truth is, we see from the other Gospels, Jesus has been around. These guys have heard his speaking, these guys have heard his stories. These guys were part of the crowds that were gathering around Jesus, listening to every word he has to say, listening to this message that the kingdom is near, that the the kingdom of God is here, that the time is fulfilled, that they need to repent and believe. These guys have probably stayed long after the crowds have left and asked Jesus question after question after question. These guys have grown in their faith, and I think these guys have already believed that Jesus is the son of God, Jesus is the Messiah. So when Jesus comes to these guys, he sees people that already believe, he sees people that already know he's the Messiah and he says, all right, it's time, it's game time, let's go. Come with me and I'm gonna make you fishers of men and immediately they drop everything and go because they've already believed, they already have accepted and have faith and so they're ready now to step out in that faith. As I was looking at this message, I thought at the beginning that this was a message, as I read through the text, that this is a message for new believers, for maybe people that weren't mature in their walk, maybe people that have never come to Christ before, because it's a story of baptism and a story of temptation, things that we can all relate to, but might speak well to someone that's new in their faith. But then as I got into it, I realized this message is for the mature believer, because these guys... These four guys are already faithful. They already would profess that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is telling them to get out of the boat. And there's a lot of Christians today that would profess that Jesus is their Savior, that they might even be willing to put a fish on the back of their car. But we're staying in the boat because it's comfortable. This is where it's comfortable. This is where we can continue on our our daily living where nothing really has to change to follow Jesus. We can believe in him. We can profess that we believe in him. Maybe show up on Sunday morning. Maybe listen to the Christian station. But are we really changing anything? This is what these four guys have been doing. They believe in Jesus, but they go out every morning on their boat and they fish. They continue to do the normal everyday life. And Jesus is saying it's time to change. It's time to come to action. It's time to get out of the boat. And I think he says the same to us. As we said, we are ordinary people just like these four fishermen. And it's saying it's not enough just to believe, but are you willing to do something about it? Are you willing to get out of that comfortable place? For these four guys, it looked like costing them their life eventually. For us, I don't think it's, for most of us, it's not gonna come to that. It's not gonna come to, are you willing to, to risk your life But the point is, are you willing to get out of the boat? Are you willing to get uncomfortable? You might be comfortable at work, and you know there's that conversation you need to have with someone, with a coworker, and you've yet to have it because it's not gonna be comfortable to tell them about Christ. Perhaps you've been a little too comfortable at home, perhaps in in your own ways, and and you're too comfortable in that relationship that's not God-honoring. And instead of putting an end to it, or in, into the behaviors, you just continue on because it's comfortable. We profess that we love Jesus, but we're not willing to step out of the boat. Perhaps at school, you, you, it's time to set an example that when other students are, are saying certain things, when other students are acting certain ways, that you just go along with the flow because it's comfortable. That we say we believe, but we're not getting out of the boat. And so for these guys, they were willing to get out. Are you? Are you willing to get out? And what does that look like? It looks like different for each one of us. For these four, it looks like getting out of the boat and leaving their families behind. It looks like leaving their trade behind. It looks like leaving what they've always known behind. And it looks like following. It looks like following the next three years and then having their, their savior die on a cross. It looks like then going after Jesus has risen from the dead and spreading this good news. And eventually for these guys, it looks like they're, it will cost them their life. For us, hopefully it won't cost us that. But for us, what does that cost? Perhaps what we're calling to get out of the boat looks like stepping up and, and maybe supporting a compassion child. A Child Through the Compassion program. We had Compassion Sunday a year and a half ago. Maybe it's continuing that. Perhaps stepping out of the boat looks like tithing, if you've never tithed before. Perhaps stepping out of the boat, as Seth had said, is helping out in the children's ministry. Maybe stepping out of the boat is just coming Friday night and being paparazzi and cheering and being excited and welcoming, no matter how cold it is, no matter how wet it is, being here to be excited and care for these participants of our prom. Maybe stepping out of the boat looks like saying something in your home or at work or at school. Maybe stepping out of the boat looks like a big change in addictions or relationships. But are we going to continue to just say we're Christians and sit on the boat, or are we willing to step out? For those guys, they're willing to step out. And, and I bet if you ask them, is this gonna cost you your life? But because you're willing to get out of your comfort zone, you're gonna see God do amazing things. You're gonna see Jesus perform miracles. You're gonna see God work through you. You're gonna see others come to a living relationship with Jesus Christ through your ministry. Was it worth it? And I'm sure each one of them would proclaim, yes. So I ask you, It will cost us our comfort to step out of our boat. But this week, to do something different, to change something in our life, if there's something wrong, if there's something we need to repent from, to change that. If there's something that we just need to step up and and do differently, a conversation we need to have, to share love with a neighbor, with a homeless person, to care for someone. Are we willing to do that? I hope we could proclaim, yes. Yes. Zebedee was the father of James and John. And Zebedee was a fisherman, and James and John had learned this trade of being a fisherman. And and in this time, jobs were passed down, not just from generation to generation, because Zebedee's father was probably a fisherman too, but so was his father and his father. These trades were passed down, not from generation to generation, but from century to century. And so the hearers in this Roman catacomb hear this story, and they know the significance that James and John were willing to give up everything. Willing to give up the comfort, willing to give up the tradition of their family, willing to give up hundreds of years of what's been passed down to follow Jesus. And it was worth it. And so these Christians in the catacombs are finding encouragement through this through these stories i hope we can relate i hope we can be along the lines of those those uh those christians in the catacombs that we would be able to see the baptism of jesus that he connected with mankind and that he was that he connected with mankind and that he connected with you and i that we'd be able to see that jesus faced temptation and he overcame That when we're facing our wild beasts, we would be able to find strength to know that Jesus is with us. And that when we see this call to get out of the boat, that these Roman Christians would find encouragement that what they're doing is worth it. This makes a difference. And for us, that if we get out of the boat, it's worth it. If you'll pray with me. God, we thank you for this call. Get out of the boat, because God, we need it. God, so many of us are are comfortable and content to have faith, which is great. To believe like these fishermen did, but God, you've called us to more. You've called us to get out of the boat to go and be fishers of men, to go and tell others about you, to go and make an impact in this world, to go and support a, a compassionate child, to go and help out in a class, to go and be an example in our work, to, to sh- be a shining light at school. God, to change our homes for you because we're willing to get out of the boat. And I pray that people here this morning will hear this message that this would be your words. God, if there's someone here that's working through the idea of baptism, let them see. You set that example and you've called us to it. God, if there's people here in the midst of wilderness and it feels like the wild beasts are all around them, God, let them know that you are with them. And if there's people here that are comfortable, God, help us find encouragement to get out of the boat and to follow you. You are an amazing God. You are a wonderful God. You are a strong God, and we thank you for that. We lift this up in your name, amen.